Be a good partner and treat others right. It's a community. You're working in a community. Try to add value to other people. It'll make your experience more enjoyable and you'll make good connections and you'll succeed. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Mark Hentiman. Mark is a real estate investor who has been investing in multifamily since 1999, built a portfolio of 19 multifamily apartment complexes in LA, Austin, and Denver, and he is a writer and producer on Family Guy. He started in season one, and he is still there today. And you guys, I'm so excited to have him on the show, not just to share his multifamily knowledge, but also I've been a Family Guy fan as long as I can remember. So excited to get to chat Family Guy with him today. But really, we're focusing today on his real estate investing experience, how he got started as a real estate investor with that very first deal in LA, what he looked for in that deal, how it worked out, who his first tenant was, and how that really lit a fire for him as a real estate investor. We also dig into how he has built his current partnership and built his partnerships over time, how those evolved organically to help him branch out beyond investing in LA. We also dig into whether he got caught up in the crash of real estate in Los Angeles in the Great Recession timeframe, 2008-2009. What happened around that? Did he see it coming? Did he maybe do a deal around that and hold on to it? We're, we're going to get into all that today. So excited to talk with Mark. He's a wealth of knowledge around real estate investing and He's also had a just big impact on many of our lives through his writing and comedy through Family Guy. I'm excited to have Mark with, him, with us today. I'm excited to have you along for the ride. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor, and I focus on multifamily and self-storage investments. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and I will look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show. That helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem, and it gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling every single time. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Mark Hentiman. We're digging into real estate getting started in LA real estate investing, scaling up through partnerships, and also we touch on family guy a little bit here as well. Without any further ado, let's go. Mark, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm really excited to have you on the show. Generally, genuinely, I've been a big fan for a very long time, For our, but for our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about what you do and then we'll dive into how you became an accidental landlord? <laughs> sure, of course. So yeah, I'm Mark. I am a real estate investor and syndicator and, you know, kind of have also been a writer, producer. Long story. Should I jump into my story? It's grew up in Ohio, stumbled into a job at American Greetings, if anybody remembers that company. It's still around. I think it's in Rite Aids and stuff like that. But I was a greeting card writer in the alternative humor department at American Greetings which was this experimental department that they were trying to capture Gen X. If you, if you remember Gen X and everything <laughs> was alternative and, and trying to be cool and they just kind of let us do whatever we wanted. So I, we wrote our department had no oversight and we wrote weird, surreal greeting cards. And I was an illustrator too. 
and I was I was just having fun doing that. And nobody ever bought our cards. You know, we had a rack of cards like you see it at Rite Aid or a, a drugstore in our department and with our sales sales figures. And it was almost a badge of honor if if you got a 0.0 sales rating on your <laughs> card, which meant nobody in the United States bought your card. And it was a it was a bit of a badge of honor because the average greeting card buyer was like a 62 year old grandmother. So we were kind of, you know, marooned off in the corner of American greetings. And, you know, I was, I knew that I didn't want to do that forever. So after maybe a year, I kind of was poking around like, what am I going to do next? And, and I went online and looked up agencies, you know, I figure like if, if, if the next step is, you know, in some creative field, maybe entertainment, I would need an agent. So I stuffed 20 of my greeting cards into an envelope and called and they said, just send it to the mailroom. And I figured that was like, you know, the graveyard of submissions. But miraculously, you know, I got a call. I got a call uh, like a week later from a woman who introduced herself and said, I have been an agent's assistant for the last four years and I just got promoted to be an agent and I had no, I have no clients. So I went looking in the mailroom and I, she said, I read everything in that mailroom and I liked your, your material. And she's like, would you be interested in writing for television or movies? And I'm like, hell yeah. So she explained how to do it, how it worked. You know, I knew nothing, but I, I was excited and, and flattered that she called me. And then she calls me again after like four days and says, you know, I didn't tell you this when we spoke, but I had forwarded your greeting cards to the late show with David Letterman and they want to meet you. She said, how, how quickly can you get here? And so I borrowed some airline miles from my mom and <laughs> flew up to New York the next day and they offered me a job. And so I was, I wrote on the late show with David Letterman, which was a thrill, also hugely intimidating. You know, that whole, that whole writer's room, everyone there had like 10 Emmys each because the late show with Letterman won the Emmy for best comedy, late night comedy every single year. And they had all gone to Harvard and written for the Harvard Lampoon. So it was an incredibly like intimidating, you know, environment for a, like a guy who, you know, went to a state school in Ohio and, you know, had no pedigree, but, you know, worked, worked really hard. I was, I was good at the top 10 lists. If you remember these, I'm maybe I'm speaking to like an older generation <laughs> here. I couldn't figure out how to write for time, which was weird because greeting cards, you just drew a square and then just thought about like what kind of weird Gary Larson far side like uh, cartoon can I kind of fit in here? And you always had just one frame and it was there was no time involved. So ironically, like weirdly looking back, I'm like, how could I not figure out how to write for time? But anyway, that's a digression. So after about a, a year or so, my agent says, if you're going to, if you want to stay in this business and be in the, you know, have more opportunities than late night, you should move to LA. I did that. My girlfriend at the time was my, my wife. Now we moved out and she said, you know, my, my agent said, I'm going to, I'm going to call you an animator. She's like, I, I, you know, you missed, she said, you missed, first of all, you you arrived here and she told me to arrive, to go to LA. And when I got there though, she said, you just missed hiring season. There's no shows, no shows are staffing. And I was like, oh, great. 
Thanks for telling me. <laughs> Good. But she goes, you got all these greeting cards. I'm going to call you an animator. And I'm like, I'm never, I've never animated anything in my life, but you know, whatever you got to do. And so she sends me to Fox and Fox had, you know, King of the Hill, Simpsons, and you know, they had, they were doing animation and I had this good meeting. I, I drew some stuff and, and pitched a show and, you know, it was kind of a good, great meeting, one of the better meetings I've ever had, but they bought the show that I pitched. And they also said, you should meet this other, you should meet this young guy who's starting a new animated show. His name is Seth. And so I went and met like a 20 year old, 21 year old Seth McFarlane and he liked my stuff and he's like, you should come work on this show. And, and he gave me a, a DVD or he gave me a, a VHS. That's how old, old this was. <laughs> gave me a VHS copy of the, the four minute animated presentation of what was to become Family Guy. And I, I took it home and watched it and thought, this show is going nowhere. And But I joined the show and to survive, yeah, I you know was convinced that this show was probably not going to last. I was in this like super expensive city compared to where I was from. And, you know, so I took my first script payments and, and bought a duplex. And that's when Mike Henry became my tenant. He, he does like we were talking about just for the audience. He does Herbert. Consuela and Cleveland and, and a bunch of other very characters. And I do I do a lot of odd characters. I do mostly the brain damaged characters. That's when I get assigned for some reason. Um, well, and I play an ostrich. You do them you do them very well. And making that decision to buy the duplex in a very uncertain career path and industry back at the time with a with a show that wasn't proven. And if I'm remembering the timeline right, I think this would have been just a completely different world before 9-11, before the financial crisis, before kind of the world that we today. What was that like? And and how did you go through the process of, you know, who who talked you into it, basically yeah. buying that first property? That's a good point. And I got talked into it. I, I would never have come up with this on my own. What happened is, is our landlord. So I, I'm, I moved out with my wife now. We were like engaged when we flew out here to move to LA and we went our, so ironically, you know, it, it goes back to like landlording. Our landlord raised the rent after our first like 10 months. We hadn't even been there a year. And I thought like, ah, oh, you know, I didn't like that. I, that, that my rent had increased. So on a Sunday morning, I went, we went looking at another apartment, which was like a couple blocks away. And we just look at this apartment and we're wandering out afterwards and across the street, there was an open house and we just wandered in. It was a Sunday morning. We really had nothing to do. And this woman who was the broker hosting the, the open house, her name was June on. And, and she said, you know, why are you throwing your money away on, on rent when you can, when you can buy? And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I just moved out here. I'm in the entertainment business. You know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be unemployed probably, you know, 60% of my career. You think I want to, you know, the the responsibility of a mortgage? And we kind of talked a little bit. She's like, well, maybe that's what what could provide you the stability that you're looking for. And I'm like, ah, it would have to be like the best investment I had ever made. And, you know, in, in we were talking back and forth and some of it was my ideas and some of it was hers, but it was like, yeah, it would have to be a heavy value add in an up and coming neighborhood, you know, it would have to have all the angles that is going to make it a safe bet. And I thought maybe I would do it. And it, because I did have a couple script payments under my belt at the time. And I, you know, maybe I had $60,000 to my name 
And I think I needed like 57,000 to buy this duplex. And yeah, she nudged me, she pushed me and I did it. And I am grateful for ever since. And yeah, I'm still in touch with her. And that duplex caught a, you know, a nice time at in the market. It was a growth period. It was in the er, very early 2000s. I think I sold it in 2005. You know, I bought it for four. There was a bidding war. There were 30 buyers showing up. And that kind of showed what this neighborhood was like. You know, it was a bit on fire and I didn't really know it. It, it was just my introduction to how competitive LA real estate could be. But I got, you know, she kept pushing me and and I kept asking her every day, like, oh, we're, we're over asking by, you know, $25,000. Do I, do I bail? And she's like, I, my God is saying, keep going, keep at it. And I won the bidding war. So it was listed for 365, 365,000. And I bought, I won the bidding war at 435,000 and thought I had made a huge mistake, like had <laughs> immediate buyer's remorse bolting awake that night. <laughs> like, what have I done? But I embraced it. You know, Mike moved in. We had, we had fun. I fixed it up and sold it five years later for 1.27 million and thought like, oh my God, this is what I'm going to do. This is it. <laughs> it was like a thunderbolt, lightning bolt, you know, as much as, you know, maybe as much, if not more clear than my compulsion to get into the in entertainment business. Like I knew like, all right, this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. I'm going to like figure out every aspect of real estate investing and I'm going to do it consistently, you know, with all my money because nothing would make me happier than just being financially secure in this strange new world that I'm living in. I love that. So great story, great return on that. So between that time of buying the duplex and then selling it, making a, a really fantastic return on the deal, did you buy anything else or was that was that sale kind of the the impetus to be like, okay, I need to scale this and buy as much as I can? What was your it second was, buy? It was the latter. Like I you know, and there it wasn't like right away, like for the first year, I was probably like, did I did I just make the worst decision of my life or was this a good decision? And I remember, you know, Mike, Mike's side of our duplex, we were side by side. And, you know, when his dishwasher would, you know, broke down, I remember specifically his dishwasher stopped working and he's like, hey, my dishwasher is not working. And I thought like, oh, God, this is going to cost two hundred and twenty dollars to replace this dishwasher. And that's the beauty of real estate is it hides the the money you're making in a lot of ways. Like I was paying attention to this $225 expense that I had to, to incur out of pocket, but I was not tracking, you know, every month my, my mortgage was going down by $4,000 and the area was improving dramatically. And as was reflected in what I sold it for a couple like, so it was probably gaining 40 grand a month or somewhere around there during that time. And it was an, it was kind of an unprecedented, but you know, the market has market goes up rapidly and, and then slows, goes through a correction and then goes up again rapidly. It's not unheard of, but I caught one of those updrafts in the market. And then also I was benefiting by, you know, the tax advantages. There was a lot that I was, I was leveraging. And when I sold it to speak to some of the tax advantages, like we were able to take our married couple 
exemption of $500,000. So, you know, 500,000 of it was tax free. And then I 1031 the rest of it because it was a duplex. I could allocate some to one half of the duplex and some to the other. And so, you know, the tax hit was almost negligible on nearly like, yeah, what would that have been? It would have been about a million dollars in in gain. And from there, like I mentioned, I was like, all right, I need to learn everything about real estate and this is going to be my devotion. You know, it's going to be what I do. It was a virtuous and what I knew in the back of my head and 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 at the time is like, it's also going to be a virtuous cycle because it's going to, I'm never going to have any interest in buying a nice car or a fancy, the fancy shiny things that draw a lot of people, maybe especially in in a a town like LA. I didn't care for any of that. All I wanted to do was buy another value add property and scrape together enough funds to do that. I love that. So in I'd like to transition to scaling up your portfolio. You bought quite a lot of property in LA, is my understanding of the timeline, then branched out to other markets and built partnerships. I'd like to dig into the partnerships aspect and and how you met your current partners, how you got to understand that they were the right fit, you were the right fit for them, and how that all kind of shook out so that you were confident that that partnership would would work out. And I think my first partnerships were, was that I was becoming an evangelist to all of my friends, my writer friends. So I was spending a lot of time in writer's rooms and I would tell like, you know, everybody on the staff at Family Guy, I'm like, do yourself a favor and get invested in real estate. And, you know, I was, I was becoming great friends with all these, these people. And I was, I, I knew some of them were terrible with money and, and some of them were, were very smart, but you know, a lot of them were, were gun shy too, but I was doing it consistently and everybody knew I did it consistently. And, you know, maybe I like to think I didn't talk about it all the time, but I probably did talk about it a lot in the writer's room. And a lot of them, I was just trying to encourage them to make smart choices and eventually like they weren't doing it on their own. And they said, you know, well, if you won't stop talking about this, why don't you find these deals and we'll give you money? How about that? Like, and that's how I began finding investments, value add investments in good neighborhoods that were growing and and then bringing on my writer friends and from writer friends that became, you know, syndications and and I thought like I was in LA for a, a good chunk of, of my investing, maybe a hundred percent in LA for the first 10 years after that duplex. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that first decade was all LA because I knew LA and I knew that, you know, I knew it like the back of my hand. I knew where the, where the pockets that were popping were. And, and that was part of my strategy. And I knew, and I was studying the metrics of LA itself and it's got a lot of good drivers. It's got a lot of obstacles, you know, in terms of regulations, rent control, all that stuff. But it is a lot of those same regulations restrict building. So there's a chronic lack of supply. Yeah, there's very building is very difficult. The the regulations, you know, permitting is really difficult. So there's always been a, a lack of of product there. So there's high demand. But after about a decade, I, I thought I needed a second or third market. And I had targeted Austin, Texas, and then Denver. And, you know, to answer your question about building out my team, at first I was I was always hiring like a, an assistant and, and I, w- I wanted 
to find somebody who was passionate about real estate investing and multifamily specifically. And I would bring, you know, bring people on to help, help me run my investments for, you know, mostly my friends and, and other writers. And then that kind of evolved into, that evolved into, into syndication. And, you know, I built my first, you know, maybe it was like my third sort of, you know, right-hand man, we had, we started doing syndications and his name is Nick and he's still with me and he's, he's probably my, you know, my primary key partner at, at Quantum Capital. And then some of them were, were investors with me. Cliff was an investor. He was up in San Francisco. He was a CPA working for one of the big six firms. And, you know, he and I had a lot of conversations and I really liked him. He's really sharp. And I'm like, you're really smart. And, and he's a, a compliment to what my skills are. And so after just being friends and, and investing together through some of these, these investments, you know, he came on the team. And then, you know, as you know, Jamie, right? You know, Jamie was just a friend of mine. And, you know, I just knew he was, he was good at, at, at marketing and, and he came on and yeah, kind of build the, build the team by just like picking, picking great people. Like I knew that that was going to be essential. You know, I was still going to be writing and doing this, but I kind of knew like, all right, well, writing, I love writing. Maybe I'll get spit out of the entertainment business at some point, but like this real estate company is, is real estate investing itself was something I planned to do until I'm a hundred. Like I, I don't anticipate ever retiring from uh, real estate investing. It's just what I'm, what I'm going to do, you know, consistently. And I've been doing that and, and, you know, it's exciting to, to scale a company doing that with, with great partners that makes it fun. That's awesome. So very, it sounds like very organic to build out the team and finding the right people just kind of over time. How do you, how do you strike the balance in terms of the hours in the day, how you're dedicating your time to real estate, to the show, to your family? I know that's very important to you. How do you break that out and, and make sure you're striking the right balance, giving them all the right attention? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I don't know. Like, I love working. You know, whenever I've had long stretches of downtime, I find a project. I, I like launch something or, or so I kind of enjoy it. That's that's my flow. My flow state is is doing something I love and, you know, doing it, going, going after it, going like learning it. I, I the learning part is a, is a real exhilaration for me. It's an endorphin rush. So I like that. I, I feel like I have an entrepreneurial bent, but yeah, I wouldn't be able to scale and grow a real estate company if I were on a brand new show. I know I, I kind of was doing the calculus as my career was going on. Like we've been at this at Family Guy for now 20, 23 years and you know, we've gotten more efficient and, you know, whereas, you know, we had those, those years, those seasons where it was like 15 hour days, but, you know, fortunately we've been working together as a team for so long on the family guy side that like, even before our season starts, we have our, our writers are smart enough and, and are, are dialed in enough that we, we bring to, to day one, like a lot of scripts, a lot of story areas that are already ready to go. And so we we're very efficient with our time and it allows me to, to juggle both and still spend 
you know, a lot of quality time with my my three girls and and my family. Interesting. Okay. So before we go to the three questions I ask every guest on the show, I'm very curious since you're you're very uh, concentrated in LA real estate there for a number of years and Southern California really, my understanding, got hit by the Great Recession pretty hard in terms of real estate. Did you get caught up in that? Did you avoid getting, you know, serious impacts? What happened to you in the Great Recession? In the Great Recession, yeah, I had been so I had been investing since 1999 up until in the Great Recession. I think everybody knew most real estate. They they say you know in it, historically looking backwards, they say you know the Great Recession came out of nowhere. At least some people do, but I I thought like no, everybody knew. Everybody who was in who was intelligent and in real estate knew something very bad was coming because you know the leverage was was way out of whack and pricing was was running away and these loans it was the loans it was the whole you know not the dodd frank but there was a there was a regulation shift that you know just changed how mortgages it, it opened up to subprime mortgages for the the prior 100 years 40% of the population could not qualify for a mortgage so that was just the way it was. Like you didn't own a house if you didn't make a certain amount of money or have a certain credit score. But there was a change. It, it was in '99 when the legislation shifted, but it, it wasn't until like yeah, it took till 2008 to explode. And what had happened is yeah, they were banks. Banks were were pumping out loans to 100% totally unqualified buyers. And so there were toxic loans that they were making, but the banks didn't care because they were just packaging them up and putting them, turning them into securities and selling them to Wall Street. And Wall Street was selling them all around the world because U.S. mortgage debt was a very prime investment, and it was it was thought to be a very safe investment globally. And so there was huge demand for it. So they couldn't, you couldn't, you know, these these banks couldn't make mortgages fast enough. And no, as as you may recall, it was like no stated income was necessary, no job was necessary. Just as if you could sign a piece of paper, you'd have a loan. And then, obviously, like this was a disaster waiting to happen. Anybody that was on the sidelines watching this, it was like, oh my god, this there's no way this is going to end well. And of course, it didn't. And and there was way massive waves of of foreclosures. And I was trying to time it, you know, to to answer your question, like how did this come come upon you, or were you prepared for it? Yeah, I was sitting on the sidelines for the maybe two or three years prior to 08. and I was going to be the smart one. And and I knew other investors doing the same thing, and we would talk about like, wow, this is this is a, a ticking time bomb. And then in 08, prices slid and in it, the the crash started to happen and i and when prices went down about 15 you know they went down 10% then 15% and i'm like here it comes here we are and i was i had sort of been saving up cash on the sidelines and i'm like i'm going to try to play this you know try to take advantage of it and when prices were down 20% i jumped in with about <laughs> i i jumped in with i think about 8 Family Guy writers and maybe a couple other writers from other shows, and we all went in on a a, a property. And you know, the the sellers were suing each other. It was a distress deal, and we we got a good price on it. But 
right after we closed, Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns crashed. And that was the Great Recession moment. And prices like slid, you know, further. And that was called, I learned from someone told me, he's like, you know, you got caught in the dead cat, dead cat bounce. And I learned what that was. I was like, that's exactly what I had. I got lured by the uptick, like when prices slide, when prices slide during an during a downturn, there's a lot of highly sophisticated investors that have almost algorithms set up where they're, they get a, a buy notice when prices go down a certain amount. And there's a, it creates a wave of investors going back in and that showed an uptick. And I sort of saw that uptick. I'm like, there it is. Now's my time to jump. And I jumped in. And it still had a ways down to go. So to answer your question, I was in 08 and I brought, of course, all my smart ass colleagues and I was convinced I'm going to lose all their money. But we we wrote it out. We had a little bit of, I think we had to put in some money into our, our loan to meet debt cover. But, you know, of the, you know, my eight partners, we all, all we all tripled our money eventually. And we bought it in 08 and I think we sold in 2015. And wasn't fun going through it, but we we also held on and we wrote it out as the market improved, you know, sort of had that snap back upwards after when the recovery the recovery began and and we sold in thirteen in fifteen and everybody like I said tripled their money and and they were all happy and I I just breathed a huge sigh of relief. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you did. I bet you did. Well, right now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Are you looking for a way to easily track your rental property finances? Check out Stessa. Stessa makes managing real estate investments simple. You can easily keep track of the performance, finances, and the paper trail of your rental properties. Our listeners can get started for free and then upgrade at any time to unlock their more advanced tools. And the even better news is that the upgrade is very affordable and will not break your bank. Smart investors know that tracking the numbers, tracking the money, tracking the finances is what really drives your success. Check out Stessa. It'll make your property finances easier. Just go to escapingwallstreet.com Scroll down to the Stessa logo and get started for free. Now back to the show. All right, Mark, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Oh, I hope. I don't know. Great. We'll see. I'm sure you are. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Other than in my in education, I think my best investment ever was was real estate. And that was my education. I mean, I think if I look back to my college years, you know, I don't, what I, what I got from there was not nowhere near it is no, it doesn't meet the, uh, the education that I got through real estate. And it was also, you know, I had a fire, fiery passion, you know, driving me in the real estate space. So I was really intentional and, and, and that education. And like I, the story I just told, that was a great education going through the great recession and, uh, you know, having that experience under my belt and, you know, just seeing, seeing what could tank the economy, you know, it's not always, it's not always rosy and you got to know how to navigate those tricky times. Absolutely. And from you, well, you told us about that first deal that really lit the fire, the duplex that went really well. And I'm, you know, shy, just shy you to the moon. 
So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Ooh, okay. Yeah. What was the worst investment? I think it's going to be a company that I don't want to throw my my brother under the bus, but he's on Wall Street. And there was this, we both, we both like analyzed this company and we thought it was good. And, and, you know, I ended up putting in, you know, it was a startup and, and put in a, a, a decent amount of money, $500,000 to be exact. And, and the, the, the company tanked, went out of business. So that was, uh, that was my like le- hard lesson learned of startups. You know, if I had to go, you know, in retrospect, like what a dumb, what a dumb move. <laughs> was that it recently? Was, Did that coincide with rates going, interest rates going up and everything? No, a little while ago? no, it was, this was, this was maybe seven years ago or something. It was a wide, a, a ways back. And, and yeah, it was just, it was a chance. Maybe it was, maybe it was, you know, it was a lesson to me. My, the lesson take, take, to take away from that is, uh, is invest in what you know. And, uh, you know, don't, uh, don't chase darling, darling new companies until they've proven themselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a tough lesson to learn. Speaking (laughs) of lessons, my favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? I think, you know, I don't know, maybe it's the, the old man in me at at this point, but be a good partner, you know, be a good partner and, and treat, treat others Right. You know, it's a community. You're, you're work, you're working in a community. Try to add value to other, other people. It'll make it, it'll make your experience time and, and you'll, you'll make good connections and, uh, and, and you'll succeed. You'll succeed better if you're a good partner. Awesome. Well, very important lesson. And Mark, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, it's been a great pleasure getting to meet you and speak with you. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, where can they track you down? Sure. They could check out our website. It's quantumcapitalinc.com. And, you know, if you want to reach out to me, my email address is markhenteman at me.com. Happy to connect with anybody. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today to everybody out there. Thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate that so much, you guys. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.